make our way from Genesis to Revelation on Sunday nights. Been away from it for a couple of weeks and uh, because of the Christmas season. And uh, remember Joseph, at the age of 17, God had given him uh, great dreams and visions about uh, what he was going to become within his family. And his family isn't just any old family, <laughs> you know, no family is, but his really wasn't. It was the family and the bloodline that God had chosen to bless the whole world through. He was going to bring his Savior, the Lord Jesus, into the world through this bloodline and this Joseph was going to rise to a place of prominence within that family his brothers Jesus or the Lord had spoken to him in these dreams would one day do obeisance to him even his his father and his mother and the brothers would do the same so he receives these dreams and uh, the next thing he knows he's been sold by his brothers uh, enslaved by them sold to the Midianites uh, uh, traders sold into slavery in the land of Egypt to an officer of Pharaoh by the name of Potiphar and uh, his Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce him and in a wonderful powerful way he resists all of the temptation and protects God's call and plan now, it wasn't just important for Joseph to resist that temptation and be victorious in it related to his own life and his own reputation and Christian witness there's a lot hanging in the balance his ministry was hanging in the balance for how he handled that temptation and he handled it well so God's plan for his life continues to unfold now you would think that here you are 17 you withstand the greatness of that temptation that uh, you're going to be rewarded for that. Somebody's going to take you to Baskin Robbins and you're going to get a, a hot fudge sundae or something out of it. But with him, he just gets uh, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that uh, he attempted to rape her. Potiphar's in kind of a difficult place. He knows the character of Joseph, but this is his wife. And so he uh, is upset about things and then commits Joseph to prison. And uh, the fact that he isn't executed on the spot reveals the fact, I think, that Potiphar didn't believe the story. But surely, in, in committing him to prison, he is, uh, has a life sentence that he's going to be in that Egyptian prison. But he doesn't mope and he doesn't, uh, you know, sulk over the whole thing. Uh, he ends up then, uh, because of God's favor with him in that prison circumstance, God's favor just obviously on him, he ends up running the prison in the same way that he, he ran Potiphar's uh, house. And, uh, and God has a way. He really does. You would think that, you know, he, he's in Potiphar's house. He thinks, all right, this is as low as it gets for me before these dreams start to pop for me. And uh, he doesn't know he's going to go a lot lower than that before God raises him up to an unbelievable height, the height he can't even, even in the dreams, he didn't, he didn't know where he was going to end up. But, but things just continue to go lower and lower and lower for him, and yet whatever environment God puts him in, he continues to be faithful to God in that environment. And uh, because that God can put us wherever he wants to put us and we are to be what he's called us to be in whatever that environment is, whether I like it or not, or whether I understand why God has put me there or not. So this is the circumstance that he's in. 
He's in that uh, prison. And it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker, we don't know about the butcher and the candlestick maker, but we've got the butler and the baker here, of the king of Egypt, they offended their lord, the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh. Now the butler, in ancient times, that was quite a uh, position to have. Because what you would do is you would be at meal times uh, near Pharaoh there at his uh, dinner table and meal table. You would sip the wines before they were given to him. So if somebody's trying to kill him, you die first. But you get pretty good meals out of the whole thing, you know, till you die. But and then you get to eat whatever a sample of whatever he's going to eat before it's placed before him. And since these folks really like to eat, uh, it meant that you not only got a chance to eat some pretty good things, but it meant that you were in the presence of Pharaoh an awful lot. So it was a very prestigious position. The baker, well, he was a baker. So he's making all of the breads and all of the sweets and everything uh, for the household of Pharaoh. These are very, very good positions uh, to have. Very, very uh, good medical plan with them, retirement plan. These are the jobs that you wanted in ancient Egypt. Now, they offended Pharaoh in some way. We don't know how. Uh, he was offended. The word offended there, uh, the root of it, it speaks of sin. They sin against Pharaoh in some way, and he's upset with them. And uh, he was so angry with these two officers, the chief butler and, and the chief baker, that he put them, verse 3, in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. So he, they are committed into prison, and it just happens, as if anything just happens, uh, they get committed to the place where Joseph is overseeing that part of the prison. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and uh, he served them, and so they were in custody for a while. So uh, this is uh, how they get introduced to Joseph. Now he is overseeing them. And then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, they each had a dream, both of them. And each man's dream in one night. So in, they each had a dream on the same night. And uh, each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in uh, to them uh, in the morning after they'd gotten their dreams. And he looked at them and saw that they were sad. Now this really uh, speaks to us about Joseph's emotional state. I mean, he could just say... You know, be in the prison and say, if this is what you're going to do to me, God, you're going to put me in a prison in a junky place like this, then I'm just going to find a, some kind of corner to just pass my time here, but I'm not serving you, and I don't care what happens in this prison. He doesn't do that. Not only does he do a good job for the Lord, because he realizes... Once people know you and I are a Christian, it doesn't matter where we are, they're watching our lives. It doesn't matter whether we look at it and say, that's worthy of me or it's not worthy of me. It's all worthy because we have the privilege of representing the Lord in this world. So he's in there, and when he could be into an absolute... Uh, you know, full-blown pity party on things, he's not. 
And he's thinking the way the Lord thinks. And he's so sensitive that these guys don't even have to wake up and they're sitting and they're having their oatmeal in the morning and saying, boy, those are the weirdest dreams that I had and and I'm all bummed out about it or anything. They don't even have to open their mouth. And Joseph is so in tune with what's happening between him and the Lord, he realizes, hey, I haven't seen these guys like this before. And so so he asks them. I mean, there's a real... Uh, this guy isn't all about himself, real sensitive toward uh, other people. And so he noticed and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And so he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in cust- the custody of his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. So they've had this dream, and they have a sense that it means something more than just a dream. Uh, this, this dream has significance, and we don't have anybody to give an interpretation for this uh, dream. And so Joseph said to them, Dream, Shmeem, don't talk to me about dreams. God gave me dreams, you know, almost 20 years ago, and he's good at giving them, but he never keeps them. So I don't want to hear about any dreams. He doesn't do that. That might be the reaction that you would think. But Joseph, through all of this, and it's just a work of grace in his life, just like it's a work of grace in our life, God keeps alive in his heart through all the ups and downs, I'm going to keep those dreams that I gave to you. Those dreams are going to come true. And so here is Joseph, when he hears about the dreams, he said, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. He would not make that statement to them if he was not still confident in the fact that the dreams that God had given to him and the interpretation of those dreams were going to come true in his life. So he said, in essence, I believe in dreams. I believe that God gives dreams. I got believe that God keeps the dreams, the promises that he gives in the dreams that he gives. You tell them to me, uh, please. So there's this... You know, beautiful confidence that he has. And then the chief butler, he told his dream to Joseph and he said to him, here's my dream. I saw this vine and it was before me. And uh, in the vine were three branches. And it was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth and its clusters brought forth ripe uh, grapes. And then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes. So you see this grape vine here and the big clusters of grapes, and he just takes Pharaoh's cup, puts it under, and he squeezes right into it, you know. And uh, his cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. So that's going to happen. Tap, tap, no erases, right? So because Joseph knows, wow, in three days, you're going to be standing in the presence of Pharaoh like even his cabinet members don't in terms of just sheer amount of time. So he tells him, but remember me when it's well with you and please show kindness to me, make mention to me uh, of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews and also I have done nothing here that they should put me in the dungeon. And so 
sold into captivity. I'm in this prison. Not only was it wrong that I ever became a slave, but that I'm imprisoned as a complete injustice. Now, this is um, it's really very tender when you, when you look at Joseph in this place. He is willing to serve the Lord and be faithful to God while God's plan is unfolding for his life. He's willing to be faithful to him in that prison, but he really wants out. He really, this was not easy for him. And so he, he tells the guy, listen, when you get out of here, would you please tell somebody my story? Because I would really like to get out of this thing that I'm in the middle of. And it's, it's very, to me, it's very touching, you know, kind of revelation of, of his heart here. And then the chief baker he saw that the interpretation that was given to the butler was a good interpretation. And so he's excited to hear about the interpretation of his dream. And so he said, I saw also uh, was in my dream and there were three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. And uh, he's without a doubt anticipating a very favorable interpretation of this. And so Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days. So far, so good, right? Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you, hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. So whatever, um, it's kind of hard to take, you know, but I mean, whatever the crime was, and obviously it's a capital crime that he's committed against Pharaoh, uh, he's going to be found guilty related to that, and this is going to happen. Now, one of the great things about Joseph here is Joseph is equally faithful to speak to both of them. And he knows to the one, he's going to be a voice that the, the butler's going to be very excited to hear his voice. And he knows to the other, it's going to be very hard for this, this baker to hear what I have to say. But listen, if you're going to speak for God, you've got to speak both ways. You've got to speak when you know it's going to be good news to the person that's going to hear it. You've got to speak when you know it's going to be really hard for people to hear it. So you don't get to pick and choose in this kind of thing that God calls us to. And, and Joseph is very, very faithful to deliver God's message uh, to uh, the both of them uh, here. And now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he... Uh, uh, he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. And I have no doubt, you can imagine, word of the party and everything begins to work its way back into the prison now. And in his three days, Joseph's the one that releases them out of the custody and so he knows that much of the dreams has come to pass. And then he probably hears later, it's exactly as, as you interpreted. The Lord gave you the interpretation. The dream came to pass. And so what are you going to do in there? All right. I'm going to... You, you just start saying goodbye to all the, your fellow inmates. <laughs> it's not going to be very long before that. That butler, I mean, after, he, after what I'd done for him, 
I mean, there's no way he's going to forget me. Right after the party, the first meal, he's going to let Pharaoh know, listen, there's a guy in prison over here, has no business being in prison. God is with him in a way that you can't even believe and all, so let's spring him and use him in some, some kind of, of a way. So he, I think his heart has to elevate, just like it would anybody's heart would, and say, my time is limited now in, in this prison. I'm going to get out of here. But notice in verse 23, it doesn't always work out that way. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Boy, is that rough. I mean, you just, it just, when, it's just like one punch right after another. You get punched by your brothers. You get punched by, you, you know, uh, Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And, and then now here, this guy, he, 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 you know, hits you right in the belly and takes the wind out of you and all, and he forgets you. And anywhere he goes, he just treated like just, you know, so much, uh, uh, you know, property and uh, for people to use however they want. And then when they're done with them, they just throw them by the side and, and uh, forget all about them and, and despise him and everything. And, and yet the, 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 the one person... The, and the only person that matters in terms of, of who remembers us uh, never forgets about us, and that's the Lord. And God knows exactly where Joseph is. But he's going to spend two more years in, in that, that prison. Very, very hard trial he's in. So now he goes into bondage. He goes into Potiphar's house. He ends up in prison. And now he even ends up forgotten in prison. I mean, it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. Would you continue, could you continue to serve the Lord? Would you continue to hold on to God's promises? Not just to you, but to the whole world through you, through all that? God calls us to do that. And, and Joseph uh, does it. Now, it can seem like to Joseph and in the natural man as we would look at it because we're going to see in verse uh, chapter uh, 41 verse 1 and it came to pass at the end of two years he's going to spend two years more in that prison and you could look at it and say what a waste of two years all because one guy forgot I mean here's one of the most important lives in human history and two years of his life are just thrown away because some butler has forgotten uh, about him in this and and it's just a complete waste I'll tell you God never wastes time he never wastes a human life I mean, he takes, he takes five loaves and two fishes and he multiplies it to where there's uh, a dozen baskets filled with the remnants and everybody's glutted and he gathers up the remnants. He doesn't even waste that. doesn't say, listen, I'll just do a miracle like that tomorrow. Just trash that stuff. He never wastes anything. And he's certainly not going to waste the most valuable thing in, in a human life and that is time. So this isn't, isn't a waste of, of what's going on here in, in all of this. God is acting completely sovereignly in, the, in, in Joseph's life. He is in complete control of his life. Isn't it funny, you look at the world today and you look at Iran and, and uh, the Palestinian situation and Israel and Syria and Lebanon and, and uh, all the stuff that's going on, the Islamic world, and you look at it in the light of the scriptures and, uh, you know, Ezekiel and all the end time prophecies and things, and you just look at it and the whole thing's just being served up, you know, uh, exactly the way God said that it would be in the end times for a very decisive uh, battle that's a part of his end times plan. I mean, you, you look at it and, 
the whole world can wring their hands over, over the issues. And we need to pray and we need to be involved in things. But we, God moves whole nations. I mean, God is in charge. He, he knows what He's doing. And, and he, he knows how to work in our lives. So he's, he's very much in charge of this two years. Number one, and it's important to realize it, he stayed two more years in that prison because he was not ready for what God had to do next in his life. He may have thought he was ready. He may have, have thought, you know, that uh, uh, 11 years was enough preparation for what God is calling him to. But when God leaves us in a place, as we're just obeying him and all, when he leaves us in a place for two more years beyond what we think we need to be in, it means that what God has planned is so great that he knows our character isn't ready for it yet. And so we can kick and we can fight and those two years can be the most miserable two years of our life or we can look at it and say, nobody can be more for me than God is for me. This, what God has planned must be so outrageous, even beyond the dreams that He's given me, that I am not ready to handle it yet. And I know I am not what I used to be when I was 17, now that I'm 28, speaking of Joseph here. And, and that, that's a good thing to kind of rebuke our aggressiveness sometimes, or even selfish ambition. Though I don't, I don't uh, accuse him of selfish ambition. He just wants out of it. He doesn't get out because he's not ready for what's coming next. The second thing is, the timing isn't right. He is the right man, and he is in the right place, but he, it is not yet the right time for what God is going to do in Egypt with the dreams that he's going to give Pharaoh and everything, all that he's going to unfold, and then how it is that he's going to use Joseph to bring his whole family into Egypt to protect the bloodline so God's whole plan of salvation can, can move forward. Look, look at it like this. If the butler goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, there's a guy, he's got a bum rap there on the thing and everything, and he shouldn't, he's gave me these visions and the whole deal, and Pharaoh says, you're right, let's spring him, let's get him out of there on, on things that is unfair and everything. What is Joseph going to do? You think he's going to hang around Egypt? There's no way he's going to hang around Egypt. He's going back to Canaan. He's going to go back to where his family is, and he's going to... Uh, punch out his brothers one at a time. He's not really going to do that. but <laughs> That's from First Fleshalonians. <laughs> but I mean, there's no way he's staying in Egypt that far from home. He's going to go to be with his family. So what happens? Pharaoh finally gets these dreams that he needs someone to do an interpretation for the dreams and all. And then, and then the, the guy, uh, the cupbearer says, Oh, that, that guy, there's a guy that two years ago he was in the prison and he interprets dreams and the whole thing. But wow, we let him go two years ago. And now how in the world are you going to find them? No, God had to keep him in that place for the right time. And, and God is he's always doing those things. The right man or woman, the right place, the right time. He's usually thinking about a much bigger picture than we are. The timing's a big deal. So just rest in the promises that he's given to you. And, and he can't be more for you than he is. 
and, and he's, going to, he's going to do a good thing. But the timing, he, he's very wise about the timing. And, and so, looks like a waste, looks like he's forgotten, but he's not forgotten. And he's not forgotten by the most important person in, in the universe and in creation, and that is by uh, God him, himself. So, uh, but the nice thing too that Joseph knows in all of this is that when God uses Joseph to interpret those two dreams and they come to pass, what's God saying to Joseph? I know where you are. I know where you, I haven't lost track of you. I haven't lost sight of you. I, and I know how to bring... And, the, and that whole interpretation of those dreams and the fact that they came to pass, God did that to knock out a lot of things, but one of the things that he was doing is he did that to encourage Joseph's faith. Now, you heard my dreams, and, and they're going to come to pass just the way that this came to pass. I know exactly where you are. You're going to be forgotten by this man that you think might get you sprung. You're going to be forgotten for two years by that man, but I know exactly where you are. And, and, and so I think Joseph, you know, seeing this kind of thing, has that kind of a relationship with God. So two years later, chapter 41, uh, it, it came to pass in all at the end of those two years that Pharaoh had a dream. And here's the dream. He, he, behold, he stood by the river, and the river, doubtless, the, the Nile River. And suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat. That's how you want your cows, right? That's how you want your prime rib anyway. And uh, so they come up the way a cow ought to be, fine-looking and fat. And uh, they're in the river, and they used to do that in the Nile, so hot there, and the flies and everything. They just kind of sit in the, stand in the water a little bit to get relief from the heat and the flies and all, and then they come out and then uh, graze in the meadows. And so they then fed in the meadows. And then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, and they were ugly and gaunt. So you got some non-fat cows. Remember as a kid where you used to think the chocolate milk came from? You know, the brown cows and that whole deal. So this is where non-fat milk comes from, cows like this. So they come up out of the river, and they're ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. Now, it gets kind of weird here. Dreams can be weird. The Lord gives you things. That's half the fun of it. <laughs> could God be? Could God? And sometimes people ask me that. They'll say, this is what I dreamed on the thing, or I had a vision like this. Could God be in something like that? Well, it's no weirder than stuff I've seen in here, you know. And, and, uh, and so here's what he sees. The ugly and the gaunt cows, they ate. That's scary, carnivorous uh, cows. They ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows, and Pharaoh woke. He had that dream, and then he woke up. So it woke him up. So that's, that's a weird dream. So he goes back to sleep, and, he, and a, he dreams a second time. And suddenly, seven heads of grain, wheat, come up on one stalk. I mean, that's a good stalk. And that wheat is plump, and it's good. And then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, they sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So you've got carnivorous wheat now. And uh, so they eat that all up. Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. So he has a second dream, and that one wakes him up and all. And it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled. So he dreams these two dreams, and they're not uh, like something that he ate or something uh, like that going on in his life. He realizes um, there's something significant about these dreams, and someone is trying to tell me something. 
through these, these dreams. And so his spirit has troubled all of it. So he sent, did what Pharaoh's did, and he called for all of the magicians uh, of Egypt and all of its wise men, and, uh, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was no one who could interpret uh, them for him. So he calls all of these people that are trained in magic, trained in the occult, and, uh, and this kind of stuff to come and interpret the dream, but they can't interpret it. And there's a reason they can't interpret the dream is because the dream doesn't come from the dark side and they're on the dark side. So if this was like a demonic dream or some kind of a deal, then they're all tapped into that realm and, and could give an interpretation. But this is a dream that comes from God. The other reason they can't interpret it is God has ordained that one particular man in human history is going to interpret those dreams toward his purposes. So uh, they, they were uh, not going to have any ability to interpret them. And you've got to give them uh, you know, some kind of points for uh, not trying to bluff in terms of, of knowing that, that uh, they, they had uh, you know, the dreams and everything. And if it, say, well, this is what it means. And, you know, of course, all of it is, is false. And uh, so this dream, the interpretation of this dream, is going to be God's way of elevating Joseph into becoming the second most powerful man in the Mediterranean world, in the Middle East. So there's no way they're going to they're be able to interpret it. Then the chief butler, so he's around all this. Chief butler, he's not a part of the cabinet or the wise men or anything like that. But he's got the wine in his hand. You've got to always have that around Pharaoh. And so he's listening, watching this whole thing. And they're striking out related to the dreams. And so he spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. He feels terrible. He feels guilty. Oh, I forgot about that guy. And, and he said, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream on the same night, he and I. And each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. And there was a, a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And, he, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, he gave us an interpretation, and it came to pass just as he interpreted for us, so it happened, he restored me to my office and he hanged him. And uh, so he's saying, we've got a guy right in our prison here in Egypt that is able to interpret these kind of, of, of dreams. And he's proven, he's got a track record in, in this kind of, uh, of, of a thing. So now he's been forgotten two years later, just the right time, he is now uh, remembered. And then Pharaoh sent and he called Joseph. And they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. Now this really cracks me up. It always has. Here's Joseph. He's just getting one more day in prison. You know, what? I don't know what time of the year it was or anything like that. But all right, here comes another day in an Egyptian prison. And, and the whole, he has no idea that before the day is over, he's going to be the second most powerful man in the whole world. Now, is the Christian life like the most exciting? I mean, you, know, you wake up in the morning, you don't know what's going to happen. On, on, on things. So here he is. I mean, it, 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 he wakes up and then all, things just begin to unfold very, very quickly. Well, he's looking like a prisoner. So you can't bring him before Pharaoh. 
uh, like that. The Egyptians, uh, the, in terms of uh, Egyptian males, they used to shave their whole bodies of all their hair. So sometimes you see the pictures of them and their heads are shaven, the servants and those kind of things. And then you'll see the pharaohs or different people with hair. They're wearing wigs. So they would shave the whole body. And so here you've got a Hebrew who probably Joseph, when he was working in Potiphar's house, was had the appearance of an Egyptian in order to work for kind of a cabinet member like that. But now that he's in prison, I mean, he's not shaven or any of this kind of stuff, and he's got prison garb and all. So they're going to clean him up a little bit. They got him all shaved up. They changed his clothing to, to give him some linen clothing that was, uh, you know, right in Egyptian kind of fashion. And he came uh, to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream. And there's no one who can interpret it. But I have heard of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh and said, It's not me, it's the Lord. (laughs) What else have you noticed about me? He's very, very humble. He doesn't handle it the way that I would. He he says to Pharaoh, because Pharaoh's saying, Listen, you, 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 you can. And And Joseph says, Whoa, wait a second. See, this is his character. This is the development of his character. He said, it's not in me. I don't do interpretations. He said, God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And he speaks of the God of the Jews. God will give you the interpretation. And he seemed to have a sense, not only that God would give an interpretation for these dreams. Again, he believes in dreams from God. And he believes in the interpretation of dreams. But he believes that whatever the the interpretation of these dreams will be, that it will be um, favorable toward him. That's why he says he'll give you an answer here of, of peace. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, here's my dream. I stood on the bank of the river, and suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And then, behold, seven other cows came up after them. They were poor and very ugly and gaunt, uh, such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. I've never seen a cow like that. We don't allow that around here uh, because we have so much plenty. And the gaunt and the ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows, and when they had eaten them up, no one would have known it uh, that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So he gives us a little insight when he tells Joseph here. They ate them up, and they stayed as skinny as they ever were, and so I awoke. And then I saw in my dream... And suddenly seven heads came up in one stalk, and they were full and good. And then, behold, seven heads uh, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. And uh, so I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. So, Joseph, that's the story now, and uh, you take us from here related to uh, all, all of that. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. In other words, Pharaoh, you've had two dreams. They're different dreams, but they're making the same point. And, uh, and so here's the interpretation of it. The seven good cows are seven years. Now see, God's got to show that to you because you wouldn't know that. You'd think it would be about in and out. 
burger or something. But the seven cows are seven years, the seven, and the seven head, good heads are seven years, the dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. And this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. It's going to be just like that grain and those nice fat uh, cows. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty is going to be forgotten in the land of, of Egypt. The famine is going to deplete the land. I mean, nobody's going to even remember uh, the plenty because of, of the severity uh, of, of the, the famine. And the dream was interpreted to, or repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. In the Bible, the number two is the number of witnesses. Remember in the law of Moses, uh, God had declared, by two witnesses shall every fact be established. And so God now gives uh, Pharaoh two witnesses to the same fact to testify to him, listen, this is coming. This is a sure, established fact of God. That plenty and that famine is coming your way. And then uh, it, it, Joseph does something that's really, uh, uh, to me, very, very uh, beautiful. Because he's given this, all Pharaoh asked of him was, give me the interpretation. But now uh, Joseph is going to give Pharaoh something he didn't ask for. And that is, all right, I know seven good years are coming and seven bad years are coming. So I know that, but what's the next question that comes in your mind? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do about that? And Joseph is going to come in and not only give him kind of a word of knowledge through, through the, the, the interpretation, but now he's going to give him a word of wisdom, what you need to do uh, in the light of this knowledge that God has given to you. And now, therefore, let Pharaoh... Uh, select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And, uh, and Joseph's not thinking about himself here, you know, on this. And let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven uh, plentiful years. And so tax the farmers 20%. Now that would have been a very high tax in those days, but the people aren't going to balk over it. The farmers aren't going to lead a revolt over that for two reasons. Number one, Pharaoh decreed it. And number two, they are bringing in such a bumper crop for seven years that even when the tax is taken away, they still can't believe the harvest that they've, they've had. I mean, it's going to be that good a string of, of years. So take these officers a 20% tax on the produce of the land of Egypt on the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and then keep food in the cities. Bring this grain in under the control of the government so, they, so that there can be a central control of this stored food supply. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the 
land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. And so uh, here he takes and and uh, gives him, this is what you ought to do and in light of it. Now this is very, very valuable because Pharaoh doesn't know. Do I tax him 40%? Do I tax him 10%? Do I what? So this is wonderful what, what Joseph has, has done here. Now, when you're a leader, I don't care what you're a leader in, whether you're a leader in a hospital or whether you're a leader in a business or you're a leader in the military or a leader in the sports or whatever it might be, leaders uh, identify good people. And uh, they know how to uh, identify them, and they know how to put them to good use. So he's hearing stuff that he couldn't get from all of his counselors all put together. The advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. None of them said, oh boy, you know, they're threatened by Joseph's uh, revelation here. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God here is a man who, who had the ability to give us the interpretation of the dreams and then give us the wisdom that we need with that. I mean, he looks at that. There's nobody else in this room that did half of that. And, and so, obviously, the Spirit of God is, is on this man. And so Pharaoh then said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown uh, you all of this, there is no one as discerning as you. And you shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled uh, according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And so here he now gets promoted to become the second most powerful man in the whole world. And uh, Wow. I mean, it's, he hasn't even had a second cup of coffee, probably. And all this is going. And then Pharaoh said uh, to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. Now, a signet ring was like a signature ring. It had an emblem on it, and it, was, and it was Pharaoh's emblem. So you would take and you could use it, dip it in ink, take it off, of course, dip it in ink, and then you could stamp it on any kind of a document, or you could uh, stamp it on a wax seal or something like that. So he's being given all of the authority of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. And not only is he given the signet ring, but he clothed them in uh, garments of fine linen, uh, the apparel uh, that uh, the Egyptian people would have recognized as being consistent with a leader in Egypt. And then he put a gold chain around his neck. So a little bling. No, it's, not the, it's really not what's happening there. But uh, what it would be is he's got this big gold chain around his neck and everything, and it would have been recognized by the people as a, uh, a sign of the favor of Pharaoh toward this man, which uh, went a long way in, in, uh, in Egypt. And then he had uh, Joseph ride in the second chariot, which he had, and then he had heralds crying out uh, before the first chariot, which Pharaoh is in, and Joseph in the second uh, chariot, bow the knee. And so as they're heading through the throngs of the people, everybody's bowing the knee now, not only before Pharaoh, uh, but before Joseph. And what Pharaoh is doing now is he is publicly, it's one thing in a private room to say you've got all of this authority, but he's got to let people know about this. So he is publicly uh, telling all of the nation the, 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 about the authority that he has now uh, given to Joseph. 
And he said to Joseph, verse 44, publicly, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. I mean, that is just absolute power uh, that's uh, been uh, given over to him in, in all of, of this. And then uh, Pharaoh called Joseph's name uh, Zaphnath. Uh, Paania, and uh, so he gives him a new name, a little harder uh, to to pronounce and all, and gives him an Egyptian name, and uh, he's not God's not going to call him that anywhere else. Now Joseph is Joseph, and uh, and then he gave him as wife uh, Asenath, uh, the daughter of Potipera, uh, uh, let's see, uh, Pharaoh, yeah priest of On, and so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. So he's, be, he's, been, he's being given now an Egyptian wife, uh, a pagan wife, and, uh, and she comes, uh, she's the daughter of a priest, and so, you know, from a pagan religion and everything. But when Pharaoh gives Joseph this wife, um, to him, he's honoring Joseph. I mean, Joseph, in terms of his like pedigree, he's, he's like a nobody from a prison, even his family didn't want him, etc., 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 and now he's come into Egypt, and so for Pharaoh to step in and give him a wife from one of the leading families in Egypt, he really, uh, in you know, his limited view of things, he is doing something very, very good for Joseph. He likes Joseph. He appreciates Joseph and, uh, uh, and what Joseph has done uh, uh, for him. Now, Joseph, verse 46, was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So you remember back in chapter 37, verse 2? It's a good verse to put right in your margin there on that. Remember, he was sold into slavery by his brothers when he was 17. Now he's 30. We know that that trial, that period of preparation, he went through... 13 years. 13 years. But now, when you see it, second most powerful man in the world, you realize, wow, a lot of character had to be built into his life. Because we're not going to see... I mean, you imagine handing that over to someone with no character. Where, where are they going to... They're going to go look for the first party. I mean, they're just going to go... They're going to waste their resources, their power, their everything. I mean, they would make a shambles of, of the authority that's being given over to them. And, uh, but God has prepared His character. This guy's going to do what God prepared him to do. And, and so, uh, here he is. And Joseph, 30 years old, when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. He begins, he's a hard worker. You can see it everywhere God put him. He was a hard worker. Because it's not just about wages and how much he's making there and that kind of thing. He serves the Lord. So he's going to get down to business and, uh, and start to oversee all of this, this uh, uh, storage program in the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly, just like the Lord had said. And so he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, laid it up the food in cities that were uh, set aside for the purpose of storing food. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surround them. And Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea 
until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So they begin now to count the grain and measure it. And uh, in the early years, okay, we've got this much and we've got this much. And then finally, it is so much grain that the numbers fail for keeping track of it. Now, it would be hard to believe almost at that point that a seven-year famine could come that would be so great that it would cause all that to get eaten up. But that's the way it is. Now look at Joseph's preparation in, in all of this. What if God just takes him as a 17-year-old young man from a Hebrew family in Canaan, a family of shepherds, not, not putting that down, but you're hardly ready uh, to do what Joseph's doing at this point in time. In each step of the way now, how important was it to be in Pharaoh's house, to be in the prison, to learn their ways of administration, to learn about how to run something, to learn about how the Egyptians did business, to learn about Egyptian society, all those things. God wasn't wasting any of that time. He would need all of it for the the day that he ultimately lands where God is intending him uh, to land. And now he's he's able to to do this, do a very, very good job. So it was immeasurable. And to Joseph, at this time, were born two sons uh, before the years of famine came, uh, whom uh, Asenath, the daughter of uh, Potipharah, uh, the priest of On bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, which means to forget, for God has made me, he said, forget all my toil and all my father's house. And so that's what he names his son. He says, I'm going to name this firstborn Manasseh. Does not give either of his sons an Egyptian name. Does not give him a pagan name. They are Hebrew names that he gives here to his children. He's not, he, Joseph is not being absorbed or conformed by Egyptian society. Even, he has not abandoned his God. He has not abandoned his Hebrew roots. hasn't abandoned any of that. And it's, it's demonstrated in the naming of his, his children. And when he names that first boy Manasseh, or to forget, he names him that, Name because at that point in time, he determines, he makes a decision to forget all of the injustice that's been done to him, all of the hardship that has been done to him in the past. So I'm going to draw a line in the sand, excuse me, with the birth of this boy in the light of what God is doing, and I am not going to rummage back there thinking through my past about what my brothers did to me, or about what Potiphar's wife did to me, or about what the butler did to me, or anybody else did to me. I'm not, I'm not going to go back there. I am going to choose to forget that. And, and he does it. Now, nobody completely forgets, I mean, the hardships and the injustices of the past. But we can choose not to dwell on it. Not to dwell. Have you ever, don't shout out, but have you ever made a situation where someone has done you wrong, have you ever made it better by going back to it continually and working it through your mind again, reliving it inside? It doesn't happen. It never gets solved that way. How it gets solved is there must come a point in time 
in my life, just like Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind, reaching forward to the things that are ahead. You can't reach forward until you're willing to entrust the past to the Lord. And, and, and we know that the Lord works all things together for good to those who love God and are the called according to His purposes. So there has to come a point in time where you look and you say, listen, what was done to me, wrong, 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 any way you want to look at it, it was wrong. But I cannot fix that by rummaging through it over and over again. God, I want to, I want to mark a line in the sand here right now where I give that to you and I trust you to work it together for good in my life, but I'm not going back there to, to, to relive that over and over again. Now remember, in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where he ta- promises to work all things together for good in our lives as Christians, he goes on, never read verse 28 without 29, because then he moves on in verse 29, and he speaks about what that good is. Alexis. Alexis, and you win the lottery. I'm thinking, no, that's not how God defines good. He talks about being conformed in the image of Christ. That's the greatest riches that a person can experience in life is to be fashioned into the image of Christ. And where you can look and say, Lord, I give that to you and I trust you to make me like Christ in a way that I would not otherwise be apart from that experience. And God will be faithful to do it. See, if I keep running back and rummaging through the past over and over and over again, then not only have I been ripped off in my past, but now I'm completely ripped off in my present. And now I'm completely ripped off for the rest of my life because I keep going back to that. There has to be a point in time where I entrust that to the Lord. And He does that. It's very important as, as he does that uh, here in, in the naming of his son. But he doesn't stop there because he had a second boy. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, which means fruitful. And he gives us the reason why he called him Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And Ephraim means fruitful. So here's what he's communicating. In addition to forgetting all of the wrongs of the past... He makes a second conscious decision. A conscious decision that he would put his focus on the blessings of his life today. How God has blessed him. Now, there are some of us where it's the earlier part of our lives that we get hammered in life. And uh, some of us, we get hammered a little bit later in life in terms of you know, character being developed, having to trust the Lord, and all these different, th- different kinds of, of things. But we, I don't care who we are as Christians. When we walk with the Lord, it's a blessed life as we obey Him. And there are so many blessings to put our focus on in our life today. Lord, thank you so much. Joseph is saying, thank you so much for how you have blessed me today. So his focus is now on the blessings of today and forward. 
And we're going to see that this wasn't just like some kind of, all right, well, you know, this and some kind of a formula and a deal like this. He really did it because when he has a chance, I mean, we've already seen it. He's now the second most powerful man in the world. What would happen if you became the second most powerful man in the world? Where's that butler? Where is, where is that butler? Forget me for two years, will you forget me? You know? And then he's gonna, his brothers are going to come and all. He's going to deal with them in a very godly way. Because he's already worked through all this stuff between him and God on things. And what's happening here is between him and God. And first and foremost, whatever other people do or don't do in the situation, he knows he's, he's right with God here. Uh, on this. So beautiful how he names his boys. This speaks of a private character. We see the character that's been developed in his life from 17 to 30 that's there because in order for him to handle this big public ministry that he has. But we see tremendous private character that's been developed in his life to be able to take and, and make this kind of a stand with God. And then the seven years of plenty uh, which were in the land of Egypt, they ended. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph has said. And the famine was in all lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. So it wasn't just a famine in Egypt, the whole area now. Just no rain, no food. And so when all of the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. They start to run out of food. Some people run out of food faster than other people. They come to Pharaoh, give us food, please. And then he said, go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. And that's a lot of trust that he's put in. 30-year-old, 32-year-old fellow now. At least he's got two boys now and, uh, and all. So you go talk to Joseph. And, um, and the famine was over all the face of the earth. And then Joseph opened up the storehouses and he sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So the first group that comes for food that's been stored is the Egyptians. But people are going to start coming from all over the world as we're going to see when we get into chapter 42. Not tonight, but another time. Rest assured on that. So the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And so all countries here, we didn't have to wait, did we? It was right there in verse 57. You saw it, didn't you? Ah, you guys. What am I even doing teaching you? Ah. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Now, I mean, so we'll stop there tonight. Even though I know all of you want to stay here till midnight and we could go and finish the book, really, on things. Take a break, have some milk and cookies, come back in in a few minutes. I'm just teasing. We'll stop there. Tremendous, isn't it? I mean, it's just tremendous what we see. And the reason that this whole account, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons that this whole account concerning Joseph is in the Bible is to encourage you, is to encourage you in the vision that God has given you for your life. He's going to bring that to pass. But He's going to prepare us for it. And, and so, tremendous encouragement in the middle of the preparation. Beautiful, beautiful example of Joseph's life. Let's have the worship team come forward and, and uh, give us a chance to maybe sing some worship songs and meditate upon some of these truths and uh, before we uh, head out.
into the fellowship hall tonight.